This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Are big U.S. tech companies like Apple, Alphabet, Facebook, and others monopolies that should be broken up? That's what we're hearing lately from Democratic presidential candidates like Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren and Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. It's an idea that is gaining steam as these tech giants have faced accusations of violating privacy rights, squeezing out competitors and spreading hate and misinformation, including regarding allowing Russian interference in the 2016 presidential elections. A new 150-page report commissioned by the British government includes many of those similar criticisms and say... The existing rules governing these companies are outdated and need to be strengthened. And the European Union has repeatedly fined big tech companies. So is it time for the U.S. to look at whether the tech industry is too big and make some changes? Herbert Hovenkamp is a professor with a joint appointment at the University of Pennsylvania Law School and here at the Wharton School. He joins me in studio. Also joining us on the phone, Heyman Bargova, who is a chair in technology management in the graduate school at the University of California at Davis. And also joining us on the phone, William Kovacic, who is a professor of law and policy and also director of the Competition Law Center at George Washington University Law School. He's also a former Federal Trade Commission commissioner. Herb, great to see you again. Thank you. Thank you. Great to, to have you back. Hamont, Bill, great to have you with us today. Thank you both. Good to be, here. To be here. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you with us. Uh, so is the assumption of Senator Warren correct, Herb, that, that these companies are monopolies? Um, probably not for most products and services that they sell. And, and we have to we have to disaggregate some of the informational and political concerns from the from the antitrust concerns. Right. Uh, I mean, I think we do have a monopoly problem in the United States, but it relates to price cost margins. And uh, these companies are not notably uh, at fault in that regard. Amazon has very low margins. In fact, that's what people complain about much more. At the consumer level, Google most commonly charges a price of zero, yeah. so high margins is not the problem. They are, however, very big companies, uh, and that creates questions about uh, who the antitrust laws are supposed to protect. Are we supposed to be protecting consumers who have an interest in high output and low prices, or else uh, competitors and other people who deal more laterally with these big companies who might be filling a, a pinch, although I have to say there's not all that much evidence even of that. Bill, your thoughts? Uh, I, I agree with Herb. I think the uh, um, to a to a to an antitrust person, uh, the issues are are a good deal more complex than 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 set out in some of the the, the public debate so far. And uh, a, a crucial level of complexity that lies in the background is uh, if you decide, in effect, to go to the moon, how are you going to get there? And getting there has proven historically to be very difficult. And the suggestion that you might be able to simply step in and start disaggregating these firms in a relatively simple and straightforward way um, runs up against uh, a great deal of historical experience. It says you can do it, but it's, uh, it's hardly an easy venture. Emma? Yes, Dan, it seems you have three people who pretty much agree on this. Um, <laughs> I think Senator Warren, what she's trying to do is good. But I think, uh, first of all, the disease is not that bad. Uh, I don't think these companies, they're certainly big, but they're not monopolies. They're certainly nowhere as dominant as Microsoft was, for example, in the 1990s. 
with over 90% of market share in operating systems. Um, Herb brought up the other yardstick that if you look at it from the perspective of prices, consumer surplus, I mean, all four of these companies that she names have created enormous surplus over the years. Uh, they may have heard, like Herb said, some of their smaller competitors. But again, if you think of Amazon and Google and others, they have enabled tens of thousands of smaller companies to uh, come out of nowhere. So I think I, I really don't see a yardstick by which uh, this claim of monopoly dominance leading to bad outcomes seems to be true. Bill, then uh, one of the conversations we've had on this show, and I'd love to get your opinion uh, about it, is where we are headed with some of these companies. And obviously last year uh, we saw a variety of tech CEOs appearing before congressional committees about big data and and privacy issues. And and the question out there, I think, for many people is whether or not there needs to be a, a, a level, a certain level of regulation with these companies. And I think the expectation is we're heading that way. The, the, the bigger question might be is when would we be getting to that point? Uh, I, think, I think Herb's right that there is a, a larger important debate to be had about uh, public policy. Uh, from, in my own mind, there are policy areas that need a significant upgrade in the United States. Uh, uh, they don't all necessarily deal with, uh, with, with antitrust law, but to give you one example, uh, I think the U.S. has a a, a badly patchworked system of privacy oversight and a basic upgrade of the U.S. regime to create a comprehensive privacy regime that would eliminate a lot of loopholes and improve oversight would be a real improvement. And I would anticipate that one thing that we will see uh, is that uh, within the next few years, I expect we will see our Congress adopt uh, comprehensive privacy regulations legislation that creates a a new and more effective framework for oversight. I'd see that to be one important consequence of the debate we're having now. How how much element could there be coming out of something like GDPR with uh, with any potential new legislation moving forward, in your opinion? In in many respects, GDPR is becoming a global standard, uh, at least for Western economies. Uh, So that if if the U.S. does nothing, in effect, GDPR by default will increasingly shape U.S. privacy policy. So that is an important stimulus, coupled with the revelations that you referred to before. So the pressure from GDPR, does the U.S. want to set privacy policy or just default, Uh, plus the revelations, plus a growing growing awareness that the U.S. regime has a lot of holes in it, I think is going to give us a new privacy law in a couple of years. Hey, Matt, one of the things that's also been, been discussed is If you were to break up one of these companies or several of them, the impact that it would have on the U.S. economy because of the fact that they have they are a significant piece to that. How do you view a a potential breakup of one or any of these companies in regards to the impact on the U.S. economy? Well, then you can look at the short term and and long term aspects of the breakup and um Every one of these companies, and in different ways, but every one of them has adopted business models that require making sacrifices, giving up profit opportunities in one area or at certain points in time in order to get higher profit opportunities elsewhere. And if you somehow tell them, tell companies that you cannot do that and that at some point the spigot will be turned off, then uh, the question is, will companies in the future be willing to take on losses for five years, ten years, or give up their most flagship products, like Google Search, for free, 
for years uh, without turning a profit. And uh, and that will really, I think that that's to me the most dangerous part of it, that there is a negative long-term impact that people will not see because they might see gains in the short term that companies get broken up. But I think even in the short term, the evidence is not there. And, and that's where it will be different for every one of these companies, uh, that are you breaking them up vertically? Are you breaking them up horizontally? Are you breaking them up geographically, like uh, the Bell companies were broken up? Um, so I, I'm really not very optimistic. I think I agree with William that regulation is needed, but it should not be on the outcomes you desire. It should really be on fundamental factors that affect or have causal influences on the outcomes that you desire. And privacy is a good one. Um, some of us have been talking about uh, this for 20 years, how the regulation on privacy is so far behind, or in technology in general. And what GDPR has done is some of the most very sensible things on data privacy. But there is sort of the national security aspects of data. There is control of fake news, formation of standards. I think this is where we should be thinking about policy and not about, you know, mandating size, which, as I said, really, what, what do you mean by it's too big? And, and, and in fact, if you think of these big tech companies as in one industry, they're all fighting with each other. They are, in fact, competing. Right. And so it's very hard to claim that they're their own monopolies. Herbert? Um, just looking at uh, Senator Warren's two proposals, uh, I think the second one, which is a limitation on acquisitions of smaller firms, right. particularly startups, I think that has some real merit at a particular level. We do have to look a little bit more closely because I think a case is to be made that some of these independent firms that the large platforms have acquired could have developed into rivals and the acquisitions foreclose that from happening. I think it's overstated in her in – her, uh, statement. But nevertheless, it's a problem we have to consider. The other one, I think, is affirmatively harmful, and that's the one of disaggregating platforms from markets. Her proposal would say if it's a big platform, $25 billion or more in annual revenue, then uh, uh, the platform will be permitted to sell the goods of others, but it will not be permitted to sell uh, that particular firm's own goods. And the biggest, for example, looking at Amazon, the biggest target would be Amazon's home brands, like Amazon Basics. Right. So just think about what that means a second. So I'll think of, I'm going to take an ordinary consumer product that has very high volume, and that's uh, household batteries, alkaline, AA, AAA batteries. Uh, the market is dominated by very large firms. Duracell is owned by Berkshire Hathaway. Energizer, Rayovac, and EverReady are all brands controlled by one very, very large battery company. Amazon has entered this market with Amazon Basics, which is its house brand that it it uh, manufactures itself and sells at quite a bit cheaper price, ranging from 10% to 50% lower, depending on what size and what quantity of batteries you buy. Interestingly, the name brand batteries in this market are among the highest margin products sold in the U.S., margins well in excess of 50 or 60 percent. Uh, and Amazon Basics is putting real pressure on them to reduce 
their margins. But under the Warren proposal, Amazon would no longer be permitted to sell its own house brands on the uh, Amazon platform. Uh, we're not benefiting some small firm here. We're benefiting Berkshire Hathaway, who already has plenty high margins on uh, on uh, its brand of, of, of batteries. And I don't see any value in doing that sort of thing. Bill, your thoughts? I think I think to take one other uh, uh, theme that comes out of this, uh, there's there's not a lot of attention in the initial proposal to how this is actually going to be done. You notice that uh, an additional element is that uh, there's going to be a command to unwind a specific number of earlier transactions that Amazon, uh, Amazon, Google, and Facebook have engaged in. I think it's a total of six or seven earlier mergers, and. Senator Warren's proposal says, I'm going to appoint regulators who are going to take the jobs at the antitrust agencies to, to unwind these transactions. And the strong suggestion is that anything short of going after all of them will be inadequate, will be a timid response. Right. Uh, that is an extraordinarily difficult undertaking, not impossible, but you're going to have to go into a, to a federal court and explain a theory of competitive harm. And as Herb has just been mentioning, uh, uh, the other side is going to push back hard, and the U.S. jurisprudence allows you to provide evidence of consumer benefit and to emphasize those benefits. Um, there will be nothing automatic or easy about carrying out this program. There are no uncontested layups uh, in this season of uh, college basketball championships. And the, the effort to go after these six or seven deals at one time uh, will prove to be an extraordinarily difficult undertaking for the for the competition authorities. It would be hard to do one of them, but I think the mandate's going to be if you don't do all of them at one time, uh, you've fallen short. And here again, the implementation blindside, uh, I think, comes into comes into focus in a powerful way. So then how much of this, and, and I think this is a relatively high number that I might be searching for here, Bill, but how much of this issue being brought forth now by Senator Warren and, and uh, Amy Klobuchar and others, it really does have the political element behind it. Uh, I, I, I think it does have a strong political element, and the political environment uh, creates the possibility for this debate to take place. Uh, right. You know, for some of us who've been in, in, in the field for a while, uh, it is to step back extraordinary to see how much attention and significance these types of proposals have gotten. Uh, and I don't think one could have predicted that five years ago, that it would emerge in the way that it has. Right. Um, but the fact that it does have such political visibility and significance um, and a constituency, I would say, in the background that finds it attractive means that these are extremely serious proposals. Um so uh, a couple of things, uh, Dan. First, I think I agree with one of Herb's points about uh, uh, the effect of allowing platforms to also be in the markets. And in fact, my colleague Vidyanand Chaudhary at UC Irvine wrote a paper on this 20 years ago demonstrating that when, when you do that, that bias can actually have positive effects for consumers. And in fact, uh, my friend Marshall Van Elstein wrote a book, Platform Revolution. He's at Boston University, just across from Senator Warren, and, and that book also uh, supports the argument that Herb made. The other point Herb said about um, uh, these big firms acquiring small firms and, you know, the effect of perhaps prohibiting that, 
I think that can actually have negative effects because many of these startups, small firms, the innovation, the initial $100 million that they get are often with the intent that their products would be acquired by Google or Facebook, et cetera. And the reason for that is that in many of these technologies industry, being able to build an end-to-end product is very, very beneficial. The synergies are huge if you can cover all the pieces. And therefore, for many of these firms, their only way out is to get acquired by uh, these big, big tech companies. And if you somehow tell them that's not going to happen, then they may never uh, reach the point of a developing that ambitious product. So I, I think that's, that's also to be kept in mind. And I think finally, coming to the implementation point, I totally agree with William. I think even with the Microsoft and you know breakup that so, was sort of mandated, it never happened. And uh, Microsoft, uh, you know, lost its lead in the Internet Explorer, not because of any help from the government towards other firms, but simply because other firms innovated better and faster. And, in fact, Microsoft had a lot of hubris uh, as the leader at the time. So I think we can rely on standard competitive forces. And, in fact, the evidence that the government actions lead to good results is really not there. So how much does... What Hamont says, Herb, about that advantage, that competitive advantage that the Apples, the Googles, the Facebooks, uh, or the Alphabets have in the society because of the resources that, that they have and the ability to develop quicker than, say, a, a smaller company, a startup would actually have. It, it's actually very market-specific. Uh, <clears throat> search engines are a good example where all the traffic tends to gravitate towards Google, or at least the dominant search engines and secondary search engines have had a very hard time. If you look at other types, dating websites are are a good contrary example because they are able to product differentiate. You know, they've got all kinds of dating sites for older people, for people of certain religious backgrounds and and so on. Uh, And then there's more room for new entry at the differentiated level. But the, the important thing is you you can't come up with a blanket prescription for all of this. You have to come uh, – you, you have to look item by item. One thing that might uh, work as an alternative in some of these uh, startup acquisition markets is non-exclusive licensing as an alternative. That is to say if, if a, a company like Google wants to buy a small tech company, maybe relegate it to obtaining a non-exclusive license, which will give – Google everything it needs to practice in that market, but it won't give it the right to exclude other people. That will make the target firm less valuable, uh, but it may not wipe out the advantages of entry uh, altogether. I think we really are giving up something when we uh, have too blanket an approach to categorically allowing all of these uh, startup acquisitions, which number today in the hundreds. Bill? And I, I think I think uh, Herb and Hamont both underscore an important point here. The nature of the prohibition on large firms acquiring nascent threats, in effect, or deliberately using a strategy to buy them to suppress the development of new ideas. That is both both of these uh, both of these proposals, uh, in many ways, suggest a blanket prohibition of the kind that, that Herb's recommending. It's not a case-by-case approach. To, to, to make it effective, when you look at the words and the spirit of the proposals, uh, it would mean that firms of a certain significance would not be allowed to purchase 
a new enterprise that in some foreseeable way or even speculative way might come back to challenge them over time. So to put the proposals into effect, as suggested, really does involve uh, a categorical ban on, on, a, on, a, on a significant number of acquisitions. And to do that, I think, really requires a change in the law. So to, to make that truly effective, to have that complete barrier to acquisitions in place, um, requires going into the Congress and changing the law, as would the proposal that Heard was mentioning, that is the separation from the platform and products. Uh, that requires a new statute. So uh, it's a long, long way to temporary to put all of those measures in place. Yeah, and right now, Bill, I don't think there's an expectation of, of being able to try and get any kind of, uh, of legislation that would include all of this through this particular Congress right now. It might, we might be looking at several years before something would come up like this. You know, the, the, only thing, the, the only thing that would change it is if you have some, some cataclysm, some external shock that's a result of a right. corporate scandal, uh, a, a, uh, a, a further set of revelations that calls into question the legitimacy of the sector. Uh, and that's, that's already had a bit of a catalytic effect already. Um, but if you look at the cataclysm it took to produce Dodd-Frank, which was, you know, you know Senator Warren had a, had a major role in crafting that. She's very familiar with that process. But but if we if we think of the kind of political opposition, the backlash that will take place as you start accounting for a number of the factors that both Haymont and, and Herb have mentioned, the the counterpoints, you'll have a lot of resistance in the legislative process. So uh, this really this if you start to look at the calendar and plot out how long it will take to do this. It's a couple of years to get the legislation. It's a couple of years to set up the new regulatory mechanism that will oversee the operation of platforms. A couple of more years to get implementing rules that put the separation into effect. The court challenges. Uh, this is a bit like building an aircraft carrier. Uh, it'll it'll take quite a while. Hey, Matt. Uh, yes. So, you know, speed, the speed at which this industry changes is, of course, enormous, and that is why regulation gets left behind. And that doesn't mean we should never start thinking of that regulation. We should have started 20 years ago. But what it means is that it really should be focused on fundamental factors that will last for a long time and govern the, the evolution of competition in, in this industry. And, you know, exclusive licensing or data sharing, that's something that Herb brought up is, is, is an example. That we normally think of data sharing as a really, really bad thing, but think about how it's, it has really pro-competitive effects. So if one company spends billions of dollars to acquire all the mapping data, and then dozens of applications can be built on top of that, if you prohibit sharing of the data, then uh, you're actually preventing new firms from emerging and building those applications. And the same thing could be, it could be data about consumers, it could be data about devices. So. This is something that needs to be debated. That is, data sharing good? Is it bad? And what should be the boundaries around it? How should that be regulated? And I think by debating on size or power, we are actually barking up the wrong tree because that's uh, really, really hard to establish. It is hard to control and achieve the right results uh, through regulation and then its implementation. And instead, I think we need to have a rig vigorous debate on what are some of the fundamental factors and how do they influence the outcomes that we are truly interested in. And, you know, as Herb said at the very start, the standard benchmark of consumer prices and welfare, if you 
simply evaluated the tech industry by that. There's really no case for any regulation or any action. And therefore, it's clear that even the thinking has to change and that other benchmarks need to be thought about. One of the things, Herb, that we've talked with you in the past when we talk about these issues uh, is consumer harm. And that seemingly is kind of the standard that that is used in in many of these instances, and, and when you think about an Apple or a, you know a Facebook, now Facebook might be a little bit different because of of the data privacy issues that they've been going through recently. But with an Apple, the, where's the consumer harm? You know, you know, I mean, by having the variety of products that 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 they have in their in their realm right now. I think the single biggest fundamental problem with the Warren proposals is that. They do not sort out who's being harmed and who's being benefited. And I found them somewhat distressing because Elizabeth Warren has dedicated her entire professional career to protection of consumers. But these proposals seem calculated to me to raise consumer prices, reduce consumer variety. uh, And it's kind of hard to figure out who is systematically benefited by them. I mean, there are plenty of small businesses who are injured by Amazon, but there are at least as many small businesses who are benefited because Amazon acts as their broker and gets stuff out uh, that they could never, they would not have the resources to get out on their own. So, you know, you got to start with the question, who is getting hurt? And then decide whether that is that group is worthy of being your constituency. Bill? Uh, I think I think I think uh, Herb puts his finger right on the the deeper, larger issue that's presented here, and that is, what's the purpose of having a system of competition policy? Right. Uh, who are the intended beneficiaries? And and maybe maybe it is partly Senator Warren's aim, uh, along with like-minded uh, uh, advocates of, of basic reforms, uh, to promote this debate. Uh, I suppose if she were on the line, she would say that what the three of us have been saying uh, shows how 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 timid and uh, blind we are to the larger environment uh, that that we live in. That uh, that some larger mixture of concerns involving small enterprises, concerning the welfare of workers, uh, the impact of large corporate organizations on the integrity of the democratic process. That those all should be part of the debate. Uh, I suppose a healthy. Part of the debate could be, as Heard said, a, a a much more specific discussion of how you intend to put this framework in place, uh, and precisely what trade-offs you're willing to make. Uh, the discussion so far takes place at such a high level of generality that all of those trade-offs and adjustments uh, can be sidestepped. But as one goes further down the path of thinking about what what you actually want to do and what changes in the law you want to provide. I don't think you can avoid uh, a very specific discussion about who the intended beneficiaries of the law will be. Great having you all with us, Herb. Great seeing you. Thank Thank you, you, as always. Haymont, Bill, great to have you with us today. Thank you both, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Herbert Hovenkamp from here at the Wharton School and the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Hamont Bargava from the University of California at Davis. And uh, William Kovacic of George Washington University. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.